This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. Panic spread through Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince, on Thursday as dozens of angry police officers took to the streets to protest the killing of their fellow officers by armed gangs. Protesters first attacked Prime Minister Ariel Henry's residence. VOA's Creole, VOA Creole's reporter at the residence heard multiple gunshots but could not determine whether anyone was wounded or killed. The protesters later herded to, headed to the airport where Henry was arriving after a trip to Argentina to attend a summit of a community of Latin American and Caribbean states. VOA's reporter said the protesters entered the airport, confronted the prime minister before his security detail took him to safety. The protesters burned tires at the National Police Headquarters and flew the Haitian flag at half-staff in honor of their fallen comrades. Violence between Israelis and Palestinians has flared up again in the West Bank, leaving nearly a dozen people dead. AP correspondent Jackie Quinn reports. Israeli forces conducted a raid at the Janine refugee camp in the occupied West Bank, killing a number of Palestinians, some described as militants, but one was a 61-year-old woman. This was the deadliest incident there in two decades, and Israeli forces are on heightened alert as Palestinians prepare to bury the dead and fill the streets in protest. Two rockets were then fired from Gaza, the first such attack since Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's return to power. I'm Jackie Quinn. The Biden administration has moved to protect the pristine Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in northeastern Minnesota from future mining. Interior Secretary Deb Holland signed an order Thursday closing over 350 square miles of the Superior National Forest to mineral leasing for 20 years. From Washington, this is VOA News. The U.S. economy continues to grow but slowed down in the last quarter. AP correspondent Jennifer King has more. The Commerce Department estimates that the nation's gross domestic product decelerated last quarter, growing at an annual pace of 2.9 percent from October to December. That's slowing from 3.2 percent in the fall. For the year, the GDP expanded slightly over 2 percent, much slower than the blistering growth in 2021, with an economy recovering from the pandemic. The numbers were boosted by resilient spending by consumers, businesses, and the government. Most analysts think the economy will slow further in the current quarter and slide into at least a mild recession by mid-year an intended consequence of the Federal Reserve's aggressive series of interest rate hikes meant to crush the worst inflation in four decades. Jennifer King, Washington. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Thursday lauded the Ford Motor Company's 100-year history of assembling vehicles in South Africa and underscored Washington's resolve to expand trade ties with countries that it can count on, including South Africa. We know that a thriving Africa is in the interest of the United States. A thriving Africa means a larger market for our goods and services. It means more investment opportunities for our businesses. Yellen spoke after touring Ford's plant in Silverton, a suburb of Pretoria. It's the third leg of her three-country trip across the African continent that is aimed at expanding U.S. economic ties and countering China's influence on the continent. Yellen said the plant, which employs 4,000 people, is an example of how deeper ties between the United States and Africa could produce good jobs and boost economic growth for both sides. U.S. Special Operations Forces have killed a senior Islamic State group official 
and 10 other terrorist operatives in remote northern Somalia. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the operation in a mountainous cave complex targeted Bilal al-Sudani, a key financial facilitator for the global terrorist organization. President Biden was briefed last week about the proposed mission, which has been months in the planning. Pentagon officials say no civilians were injured or killed in the operation. And authorities say the 72-year-old gunman who sprayed bullets into a Southern California ballroom dance hall, killing 11 people, had no known connection with the victims. Investigators are still trying to determine a motive for the shooting. And President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden hosted a Lunar New Year celebration at the White House on Thursday evening, even as Americans mourn that uh, mass shooting in the state of California that included Asian-American victims and perpetrators. From Washington, I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Good morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barton in Washington. Today is Friday, January 27th. And here are some of the stories we are covering. M23 rebels want the international community to stop what they call genocide against Tutsis in DRC. We are seeking the help of the international community. We want the international community to act and to stop another genocide to happen in the Great Lake region of Africa. A bomb blast injured at least 18 in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo city of Goma. Tanzanians' opposition holds their first rallies in six years after ban was lifted. The U.S. Embassy in South Sudan's capital condemns attacks on aid workers. We renew our call for South Sudan's leaders to act with urgency to end subnational violence and to hold accountable those responsible for attacks targeting civilians and humanitarian organizations. And with a new deep sea port, Nigeria's focus turns to better roads and rail. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's post are coming up on Daybreak Africa. M23 rebels operating in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo are defending their new offensive that has displaced over 450 people in Kishanga town. In their latest press release, the group blames the international community for paying lip service to what it calls genocide being committed against Congolese Tutsis by the Democratic Republic of Congo Army and its ally, the FDLR rebels. This comes as the United Nations peacekeeping mission in the country MONUSCO Thursday called on the M23 to cease all hostilities and withdraw from occupied areas. Lawrence Mukanya is the political spokesperson for the rebels. He tells me the M23 had no other option but to intervene in Kishanga to stop what he calls another genocide in the Great Lakes region of Africa. It's dreadful to see a UN mission like MONESCO having the courage to speak about the peace process in the DRC. MONESCO has been in the DRC for over 20 years. When it came in the DRC, we had four or five armed groups. But today we have over 250 groups under the MONESCO supervisions. The M23 never attacked any position of the coalitions. The M23 has released many communiques and went to the media, made a lot of noise, and let the world know that it has been attacked all the time by the DRC government coalitions. 
with the help of MONESCO and the missionary in total violations of Minisomet of Luanda resolutions. So here we're calling on the MONESCO to reframe supporting the DRC government coalition in total violation of Minisomet of Luanda. Do you have any evidence that MONUSCO is supporting the DRC government? Let me seize this opportunity to thank the leaders of the region for their effort to find peace in the DRC. The M23 has ended its position of Kibumba and Rumangabo to the due care of the Eastern African Community Regional Forces. The M23 still committed to implement the resolution derived from the mini-summit of Luanda. At the same time, we ask the DRC government to also respect and implement the resolution of mini-summit of Luanda, as these resolutions were meant for all parties, all the stakeholders to the conflict. I read your latest press release in which you made several references to genocide against Congolese Tutsi by the government in Kinshasa. Is this part of your motivation for fighting? We have been calling on the international community to intervene and stop this ongoing genocide against the Congolese Tutsi perpetrated by the DRC government through its coalition of FDLR, Mai Mai, and Codecos. Why blame the international community? We are not condemning the international community as such. We are seeking the help of the international community. We want the international community to act and to stop another genocide to happen in Great Lake region of Africa. Lawrence Mukanya is the political spokesperson for the M23 rebels. He was speaking with me from the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. In the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, at least 18 people were injured in a recent bomb blast in the market. The explosion took place in the evening in a cassava flour mill building in the middle of a market in the town of Beni. Zaneb Neti Zaide has details. The bomb apparently was in a green bag. A man left in the market Wednesday evening. This boy, Kasereka Shema, was hit by the shrapnel of the bomb. He says an unknown man arrived and dropped a bag where they were, saying he would pick it up shortly, less than five minutes after he left the bomb exploded. Pierre Viacuno, coordinator of the Savage Society of Mulekera Commune, talks about the aftermath of the explosion. He says they recorded more than 18 people injured, including three seriously injured and taken to the general hospital. After initial investigations, the security services and the United Nations Mine Action Service have not said say what kind of bomb it was. Katembo Tarsis is the chief of the neighborhood where the bomb exploded. He says after checking, they found that is really a bomb. He calls the population to be vigilant because the current security situation is not good. Any suspect in the area must be reported to the authorities. This blast comes a week after an explosion in the Protestant church 
of Kasindi on the border with Uganda killed 16 people. The Islamic State's militants claimed responsibility for that attack. Zanemnechi Zaidi in Goma for VOA Africa. Reuters news agency says France is recalling its ambassador to Burkina Faso one day after Paris said it would withdraw its troops from the country. A statement by the French foreign ministry says that Ambassador Luke Holliday would take part in consultations on the state and perspectives of our bilateral cooperation. France said yesterday that it would withdraw its troops next month after Burkina Faso's military leader Ibrahim Traoré asked them to leave. About 400 French special forces have been helping to fight an Islamic insurgency there since 2018. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Friday, January 27. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. The U.S. Embassy in South Sudan is condemning recent attacks on humanitarian workers and their compounds in which three workers were killed. Deng Gai Deng has the story for VOA from Boer. The U.S. Embassy condemns in the strongest terms the recent targeted attacks on humanitarian workers and their compounds in South Sudan, including those that have led to the deaths of three South Sudanese humanitarian workers and injury to others. That's Colin Machado, the acting public affairs officer at the U.S. Embassy in Juba in pre-recorded audio provided to South Sudan in focus by the embassy. Machado says the South Sudan government should hold the perpetrators accountable. He adds the U.S. government would like to see the action taken as soon as possible in order to safeguard the lives of civilians and humanitarian workers as well as their property. We renew our call for South Sudan's leaders to act with urgency to end subnational violence and to hold accountable those responsible for attacks targeting civilians and humanitarian organizations, as well as for abductions and other human rights violations. Machado says the U.S. Embassy stands with all those who work for peace and stability in South Sudan. On Monday, the U.N.'s acting humanitarian coordinator in South Sudan, Peter Van Der Awarat, also condemned last Wednesday attack on humanitarian workers and U.N. assets in Pibor of the Greater Pibor Administrative Area. Last Wednesday, several armed attackers broke into an international NGO compound in Pibor and beat up one humanitarian worker who eventually required medical attention. The UN humanitarian agency said the attackers targeted the NGO looking for catch and other assets. The UN said the perpetrators stole valuables but did not state what they were. The attackers killed two aid workers in the Abia administrative area and another aid worker in Jonglei state. No one has been arrested. South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuay says he is attending the RJMEG meeting and could not respond at this time. Van Der Awarat said such attacks on humanitarians who provide critical services to the most vulnerable people are beyond comprehension. adding the ongoing violent attacks against humanitarian inadvertently hamper the, the delivery of the much needed life saving support to millions of people affected in times of escalating conflict 
The UN official says protecting humanitarian workers and civilians is the duty of South Sudanese authorities. Vander Awarad says the humanitarian community is calling on authorities to do everything in their power to stop attacks on humanitarians and civilians and quickly bring the perpetrators to justice. It says ending impunity and ensuring accountability goes hand in hand with protecting humanitarians and civilians and bringing long-term peace to South Sudan. According to the UN, South Sudan is one of the most dangerous places for aid workers, with nine humanitarian workers killed in the line of duty and 450 incidents reported in 2022, and already three humanitarian workers killed in 2023. The UN estimates 9.4 million of the most vulnerable people in South Sudan will need hygiene life-saving assistance and protection in 2023. That compares to 8.9 million in 2022. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding Inbor. Tanzania's opposition Chadema party held its first public rally six years this week after the government lifted a ban on such gatherings. Despite the restored right to rally, critics doubt Tanzania's party of the revolution, the second longest ruling party in Africa, will stop squeezing opponents and say legal changes are needed. Charles Kumbe reports from Dar es Salaam. Tanzania's opposition party for democracy and progress, known as Chadema, celebrates the lifting of six-year ban on their rallies, which the government said were security concern. The party's Deputy Secretary General Benson Kigaila says during the ban, the state often targeted their members and supporters. The political environment was hard. Many people were arrested, and we had a lot of trumped-up cases. People were detained and tortured. In short, there were a lot of bad things that were done. Race groups say the late former president of Tanzania, Johnny Magufuli, cracked down on critics. Since his death in 2021, President Samia Sulu Hassan has vowed a more open political space, including this month's lifting of the ban on political rallies. Our responsibility is to protect you to hold political rallies peacefully, finish well, and leave safely. That's our responsibility as the government. Your responsibility as a political party is to follow the laws and regulations. The chairman of Chadema, Freeman Bowie, spent seven months in jail on terrorism charges before the prosecution in March dropped the case. He says President Hassan's lifting the ban and meeting with opposition members makes him optimistic about the future. I congratulate Her Excellency, President Samia Hassan, on the way she agreed with our suggestions as Chidema during our meetings. She said to me, Honorable Boe, let's find a way and a tradition of agreeing with each other. This president agreed with what I suggested to her on behalf of all the Chidema supporters, and yet there are some people who want me to insult her. I will never do that. But Chidema and rights activists say... Tanzania's president needs to move forward with reforming the constitution and laws so rights cannot be taken away by decree. Statements from leaders most of the time are not a good way to lead any democratic country. So to ensure this right continues, we must have laws because if we wait and depend on the president or the ruling party's decision, we will not be moving forward in democracy. 
If we move by what the laws are saying, it will help this right to continue to be applied well in our country. Meanwhile, Tanzania's opposition plans to take full advantage of the ban being lifted, with rallies planned all over the country. Charles Kombe, for VU News, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. A Kenyan court has found a Venezuelan diplomat guilty of murdering that country's acting ambassador 10 years ago in her home. Reuters news agency says the court found the former first secretary at the Venezuela embassy, Dwight Sagari, guilty of killing Olga Fonseca in 2012. Three Kenyan nationals were also convicted for helping to carry out the murder. The wire service says another person who fled the scene is still at large. Fonseca was found strangled in her bedroom less than two weeks into her posting in Nigeria. The court found that Sangare, who had been heading the mission before her arrival, resented her presence and wanted to continue in his post. There was also evidence that he had tried to interfere with her ability to take over as head of the embassy before she was killed. Nigerian authorities have hailed the launch of a deep-water seaport in Lagos they say will create 300,000 jobs and reduce shipping bottlenecks. While the new port is expected to reduce losses due to congestion, shipping industry experts in Nigeria's poor roads and rail connections to ports also must be improved. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. The launch by President Mohamed Buhari during his two-day visit this week to Lagos signaled his government's effort to grow Nigeria's economy through infrastructural development. The $1.5 billion Chinese-built Lekki Deep Seaport sits on 90 hectares of land in the Lagos Free Trade Zone, the biggest port by size in West Africa. Authorities say ships docking at the port could be up to four times the size of vessels at the state's Tinkan and Apapa ports. They expect it will ease delays and congestion at ports and increase earnings by up to $360 billion in coming years. Ifuita Ephraim is a manager at Ports and Terminal Nigeria Limited. The current ports we have in the country are sited or located along uh, rivers, tributaries, and that's why there are limitations. It's a welcome development in order to have an uh, an infrastructure of this nature in our country. With these, um, larger vessels will be able to berth at our ports, and um, we shall be in competition with our neighboring uh, countries such as uh, Cotonou here. Most of Nigeria's seaports were built many decades ago and are either closed or operating below capacity. Nigeria loses an estimated $1 billion a year to delays and bottlenecks at ports. To address the problem, the Nigerian Ports Authority launched an automated process for clearing cargo at ports. Abiodun Badamosi is the former general manager of Nigeria's western ports. He says the new deep seaport at Lagos will add to Nigeria's economic progress and create jobs. The country's Bureau of Statistics says Nigeria's unemployment rate is 33%. What Nigeria needs now are jobs, jobs, more jobs. That's what Nigeria needs now, and that's going to go a very, very long way. Uh, uh, It's going to um, improve the commerce around that area. And when you look at it, it's, it's, it's actually highly commendable, highly commendable. And it's going to 
actually propel the state, then Nigeria can now push forward the idea of being a hub for the region. Ephraim says authorities must improve road and rail accessibility to the area. As if uh, the items are to be conveyed out from the port and into the port by road, that I would expect that uh, multimodal mode of transportation should be encouraged, you know, to and from the Lekki Deep Sea port. Rail, water, and road transportation. China is one of Nigeria's biggest lenders and has been funding rail, road, and power projects. The first commercial vessel is expected to arrive in the port this Sunday. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. It's now known for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport in Algeria, where the quarterfinal matches of the 2022 African Nations Championships get underway on Friday. Host Algeria will play Côte d'Ivoire. Algeria progressed to the quarterfinals after going undefeated in the group stages, finishing top of Group A with nine points. Friday, other match will see Senegal, who finished top of Group B, trade tackles with Mauritania at the 19th May 1956 Stadium in Annaba. On Saturday, it will be the turn of the barrier of Mozambique, who will face a tough battle against Madagascar, a team that has been very effective in attack with eight goals scored. The late kickoff on Saturday will see Ghana play Niger in Oran in the last of a series of quarterfinal matches. The final draw for the CAF on the 17 African Cup of Nations Algeria 2023 will be conducted on Wednesday, the 1st of February in Algiers, Algeria. The draw follows the qualifiers that took place across the continent. 11 teams have joined host Algeria for the final on the 17 tournament. The Under-17 African Cup of Nations will be held in Algeria from the 29th of April to the 19th of May in the cities of Algiers, Constantine and Anaba, which are currently hosting the 2023 African Nations Championship. And now to Liberia, where the Liberian Football Association has named former Paris Saint-Germain youth coach Ansu Keita as the new coach of the country's national team. Keita will manage the Lone Star for the next two years with a mandate to qualify the country to the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations finals and this year's Africa Nations Championship. Outside the overall mandate set out by the Liberian Football Association, my colleague Moses Gazao asked coach Keita what kind of Lone Star team will be expected under his reign. My plan is to make Liberia competitive. Our team should be uh, recognized by our DNA, how we play. And so I want the, the world to know that Liberia is now on a different direction. And the direction is for greatness. We will play good football. We will change everything around us to make it positive. And we will partake and we will be committed you know, competitive with other countries. Let's look at the cream of players. Um, 
like Nigeria, Ghana, Morocco, they got the cream that are cream playing in the top leagues of Europe. But Liberia, you can boast of uh, even two or three in the top leagues. But where we are now, we are trying to rebuild from the youth system going up, and also we are trying to restructure our national team. At the moment, the players we have at the national team, we are satisfied with them, and we know we can build a local strong national team to compete. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, January 27th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barty in Washington, wishing you will have a great weekend, and we'll see you again on Monday morning. Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC right after the international news. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, Africa. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is wrapping up her trip to Senegal, Zambia, and South Africa, and U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, heads to Ghana, Mozambique, and Kenya. We talk with Africa experts about the significance and impact of President Biden's energized U.S.-Africa policy, next on Encounter, this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice.